You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. Right, Roger. So this week, we chose a film for actually a rather sad reason. We, yesterday, at the time of recording this, had to say our last farewell to actress Diana Rigg. Yeah, Diana Rigg. What a tour de force actress she was. Uh, most recently, she played um, Elena Terrell in uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, very well known for being one of the original Avengers, playing alongside Patrick McNee in the in the sixties, but probably most well known for her role as Teresa or Tracy in the George Lazenby James Bond film on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Now it was the sixth James Bond film, and do you know Pascal? I think personally. It's probably my favourite James Bond film of the whole lot. It gets, it has its critics. A lot of people didn't like George Lazenby. They, I mean, he was a he was a model, wasn't he, rather than an actor, so that he gets criticised for that. But the movie itself, in terms of plotting, in terms of cin- cinematography, in terms of the action, in terms of the of the. The, the villain, you know, it was the, it was the, Telly Savalas was the villain. He played Ernst Stavro Blofeld, but it was probably the best interpretation of Blofeld throughout the entire history of the film, of the films. And, and, and he actually got quite action packed as well. He was taking part in the skiing sequences and things like that. It, it was just the best all round James Bond film for me. And therefore, it's probably the James Bond film that I've watched the most. And in fact, we, me and my wife watched all 25 James Bond films during lockdown. And even though we've recently watched it, as a result of hearing this sad news about, um, about Tra- Tracy's death, about Diana Rigg's death, I feel like I need to go and watch it again. I would agree. And once we and I agreed that that would be our selection, I couldn't resist, but actually went back to listen to the music score by John mm. Barry. Mm. So uh, I think you're right. You know, Diana Rigg was an accomplished actress for both stage, small screen, and the uh, the large screen. And I think actually she provided, I would argue, if you want, you don't mind me using the term, one of the best Bond girls yes. know, on screen. Um, I think perhaps began the trend of strong female characters, but that mm. perhaps you didn't have as much, you know, with the previous five. But um, you're right. What a film, and 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 from a film marketing uh, perspective, the the lesson that you know we can all take is this idea of a movie that was restarting the franchise by being actually very cognizant of the times that they yeah. were living. So this movie was released in '69, so you know a year away from from the '70s. And what is interesting is you're right. You know the critics were very very split, uh, and I think unfairly so attacking. George Lazenby. Uh, I will confess, um, Roger, 
I don't have an issue with the acting whatsoever. I, mm. I don't see what others see, but you know that's the, that's what film is all about. Um, but in terms of uh, the reaction to the film, the audience and the fans um, concur with your views. But there was uh, at the time, you know, a, a film critic that had been working for some time now for the Evening Standard, who said, you know, I'm going to read that to you. Finally, Bond is now all set for the 70s. Mm, mm. And I think one of the reasons perhaps the critics didn't like it is because actually they were changing the tone, they were changing the look, they did away with the gadgets to a point. Yep. They had a Bond that was actually perhaps more uh, grounded, shall we say, that had, you know, to a point uh, more respect for others and, and so on and so forth. And it was just, uh, you're right, you know, so well crafted. I know that the director, who had been actually a second unit director for some time, he did something very smart, which again, which is a lesson around film marketing. He pushed the production team very hard to make sure that the film would look great on TV as well as on the big screen. Yeah. So it's almost like, what you and I are always worried about, which is, is it going to look great on YouTube, but also on, on Facebook? So planning for you know the full cinematoscope, cinematoscope version, but mm. also for potentially, I'm not sure what TV sets were like in the 70s, but I'm sure they're not you know, <laughs> what, what we have now. So there's a lot of thinking around moving with the times, which means that what happens as a result of that, sometimes your peers will criticize you because actually you're showing them up more than anything else, but your audience will, will be with you. Yeah, and, and so many memorable things. I mean, it's a geek's paradise, this film. <laughs> I, I think I'm right in saying that it's the only Bond film to have an instrumental theme tune. Um, and it was also a very early synthesizer theme tune as well. It's very powerful, but obviously no, there's no lyrics, there's no singing, no famous singer like Shirley Bassey or, or Sheena Easton. It was just an instrumental intro, but a powerful Very intro. good one, you're right, Roger. You know, yeah. you know and uh, incredible ski sequences, the, the cinematography in the Alps. You know, I'd read the, an, an article, that there's, there's a scene where they do an avalanche, and they actually set the avalanche off themselves using explosives, and it was all controlled, obviously. Uh, but they filmed it from so many different angles that they that that is such a spectacular sequence. Um, there's the 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 Blofeld's headquarters on the top of a mountain, oh, like no. a, 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 it was is actually a real place, Pisgloria in the Swiss Alps. Um, it, it was a real place. I think it was also later on the inspiration for something in Pixar's The Incredibles their HQ sat on top of the mountain the aforementioned Telly Savalas playing Blofeld uh, that's that's probably the the only the only downside of the movie is that he pretended that he didn't know who Bond was when in fact they had met in the previous film face to face so he should have recognized him but hey maybe that's that little uh, nod to the fact that it was a different actor mm. and then the the breaking of the fourth wall at the beginning of the movie, at the end of the pre-credit sequence, when Lazenby turns to the camera, having just lost Diana Rigg, um, as she drives away and leaves him rather than falls into his arms like you would have expected her to do, and he just looks at the camera and says something like, well, that never happened to the other <laughs> fella. And, and yes, it is cheesy and, and a little bit, and I think there was a lot of criticism for that, but it was perfect way to sort of move on from Sean Connery and I I would love and I know there are all sorts of reasons why uh, Lazenby never did a second film um, it, the fact that he wasn't an actor being one of them and on all sorts of 
problems on set that you read about, but I would just have liked to have seen a second Lazenby Bond film. Uh, I, I agree. I mean, like you know, it's probably one that that one and Cousin Royale, which interestingly have a link because they are, um, it's said that, you know, they are the two most uh, faithful adaptation of the novel, you know, the, um, on the Majesty's Secret Service and Cousin Royale with Daniel Craig. And, and for me then, you know, as I'm listening to you, it just goes back to the storytellers had a vision, a vision that was slightly ahead of the, the you know, kind of accepted current practices. But when we talk about building a brand and, you know, using visual stimuli uh, for, for one, Roger, it isn't about reproducing what's already out there. And if, I would imagine the producers had a good gut feel that, you know, the 70s was approaching, you know, we were way past the Cold War. There was something that's happening in the, in the 70s and they had to kind of uh, capture, you know, really the zeitgeist of, and making sure that this movie would, would, would not age as much as, for example, some of the early Sean Connery movies. I mean, I've watched them myself and you've got to hang in there and go, well, that was back, that was back in the days. This this movie, you know, you can watch it nowadays and not feel that it's just as as dated. Um, I want to read a couple of things to you, Roger, because for me, the confirmation that you know we're not kind of um, losing the plot here when it comes to literally <laughs> appraising this film and learning film marketing is that others seem to kind of concur. So to begin with, in 2012, the official 007 magazine. I'm not sure whether you get a copy. I didn't know it ex existed, but <laughs> uh, I did a survey. Or, or the fan base and say, okay, uh, off we go. Please vote your favorite, you know, James Bond movie. And number one of all the readers and followers of 007 Official Magazine was on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number two was Goldfinger. And then number three was From Russia with Love. So the fans are already there. Then you start to look around at what others do. So for example, yeah, Pixar, um, literally, you know, putting some little nods to, to the movie. You've got, um, which you may be familiar with, the um, band Propeller Heads releasing the Shekin and Stirred album <laughs> with a big, big reimagining of the James Bond theme uh, as a kickstart. But then you've got all the filmmakers. You've got Steven Stod Soderbergh, who's done you know, countless movies, including Ocean's Eleven, which I think in its own way is a bit of a Bond thing. And this is essentially um, what he said, you know, shot to shot, this movie is beautiful in a way that none of the other Bond films are. You know, which I think is wonderful. And Christopher Nolan, who we mentioned recently in our review of Tenet, just yeah. says that he was inspired in terms of the visuals and the the kind of the, uh, the composition by this film for Inception. And of course... Again, getting incredibly geeky for a moment here, Pascal. In the scenes in that restaurant, Belik HQ sat on top of the mountain. Of course, what Bond does is he discovers a plot by Blofeld. To um, he, there's a whole series of um, women in this uh, in this place that have been hypnotised by Blofeld to go out into the world and to spread using some aerosols that they have a, a, a virus. <laughs> coincidentally, uh, around the world. And and I think that these ladies are called the angels of death yeah. in the script. And if you actually look at the actresses within the angels of death, it's an absolute goldmine of geekdom. So Angela Schooler, who played Ruby Bartlett, who's one of the ladies that James Bond seduces, I actually think she might have been in the Avengers before Diana Rigg. Um, 
Katharina von Schell was one of the angels of death and she appeared later in the 1970s as Catherine Schell in a series called Space 1999 and also within the Angels of Death, you've got a very young Joanna Lumley, who That's of course right. went on to become Purdy in the new Avengers. So it's just an absolute geek's paradise, this film. It is, yes. Uh, I think in terms of the Bond franchise and series, I'm going to go as far as saying that pretty much all the main actors from the Avengers have, have appeared. So is it Peter Backney that was on um, a View for a Kill? For yeah, memory. Patrick McNee, yeah. Yeah, Patrick McNee, uh, thank you. Um, with um, Roger Moore, for, if, I'm, if memory serves, you've said John Alumni, Diana Riggs, and of course, uh, Honor Blackman was also yeah. in a Bond movie. So, you know, whatever way. So, listen, I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's the lesson here, which is the idea of if you have a vision, it's likely to be ahead of the time. Ignore the critics. Forget the your peers, you know, generally the competitors. Get on because the audience w will be with you, and that's been proven to be the case here. So we could talk a lot more, but um, we need to make sure that we don't, you know, kind of outstay our welcome in terms of this podcast. Can I just conclude by, I suppose, you know, in a, in, in a clumsy way, thank Diana Rigg for the memories. And the fact that we're going to be able to, to continue to watch her, you know, through you know different uh, platforms, and thank you again, Roger, for being a, an amazing co-host. This was Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe and leave comments in the usual places. I was Pascal Fintoni, and he was Roger Edwards. Until next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates.